John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of life. Early here in 2015, we are focusing our sermon time on different ways we experience God. We are searching these appointed scripture lessons from the lectionaries, working through these gospels, looking for practical insights or tips or steps that we might need to take in this new year to deepen our connection with God, to enrich our relationship and our experience of God in 2015. Last week, we read from the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel. I found in that six different insights, I thought, or tips on our spiritual journey. If you missed that, you can catch it on YouTube or on our website. But let me just remind you quickly of what we thought about last week. I suggested that the spiritual journey is not a solo journey. I suggested that it begins with an attitude of humility. I said there will be detours. The spiritual journey takes time and patience. There will be times of great joy. And finally, I said that on the spiritual journey, it's important for us to be prepared to offer something from ourselves, to invest something in the spiritual life, if you will. All of that out of the story of the wise men seeking the baby. Well, Mark starts his story in a little different way, but he extends this discussion of the experience of God. The theme that stuck out to me this week in the reading is that of trust. Trust. Particularly trusting God in terms of the prompting or the leading of the Holy Spirit in terms of how we live our lives. Now, as human beings, we are physical creatures. We like it when we can observe and touch or measure and verify our experiences. Now, our spiritual experiences are beyond that and yet intersect with our physical selves as we go through our daily living. So how do we make sense of how God is working in our lives? That's why it's so important for us to read Scripture in the Christian life. Because in the Scripture, we find all these stories of people who have experienced God. Scripture gives us a long and varied record of people experiencing God, discerning how God is working in their lives, and then responding to that in terms of their daily living and the choices they make as they go through their lives. How are you doing in terms of discerning God's work in your life and 
following those kind of leading or prompting. Scripture is full of different pictures or a variety of experiences described in terms of how people encounter God and respond. Mark gives us two great examples today in the terms of John the baptizer as well as Jesus. For John, he trusts God's leading in both his lifestyle and message. In terms of his lifestyle, he's living in sort of the tradition of the Hebrew prophets. He's basically on a subsistence living lifestyle in the wilderness, separated from people, and yet still relating to God's people. Still speaking to God's people, even though living mostly alone. Speaking a message of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And remember, repent has to do with turning, turning back toward God. John's message is attend to God, listen for God to lead you in your life and respond. And the first step, he says, is come down here to the River Jordan and be baptized. We have modern examples of people like John who live a little simpler lifestyle than the average middle-class American who are a little more critical of what's going on in society. But today, mostly I see them living in communities committed to service and justice and yet calling people to really listen for God. But Mark also gives us the example of Jesus in our reading today. Now, Jesus didn't adopt this wilderness lifestyle, this austere lifestyle of eating locusts and wild honey. Jesus, as you follow Him through the Gospels, is at tables eating with people. He's going to dinner parties and wedding parties and socializing. He gets criticized, in fact, because he's with people, all kinds of people, so very often in such sort of social situations that seem almost too light, too much fun to be religious. So he's responding to God's leading just as John the baptizer did. And yet the picture we get of what that looks like in terms of how it plays out in everyday life is very different. But particularly Mark wants us to note that Jesus was baptized. That he came to the river Jordan and responded, the passage says, to God's leading to be baptized. But not for forgiveness of sins. But Mark says so that he will have this experience of hearing a special message from God about his identity. Did you hear that? If you still have your Bibles open, look at the very first verse of Mark. He gives us a clue as to what is important in terms of Jesus' identity in this gospel. This is the first verse, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God. Of God. Mark wants us to know from the very beginning that there is a special relationship here between this Jesus of Nazareth, he says, who comes from the area of Galilee to be baptized by John, and God who is leading all of us. And this message is continued when we got to verse 11, right after Jesus has been baptized, and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you, I am well pleased. It's a confirmation of who Jesus is and His identity. But not only does it confirm His identity and His sense of calling, but it leads Him to take the next step in His ministry. We still have this understanding of baptism in our modern times. 
that we come for baptism, we receive the waters of baptism, we believe it's a, a time to repent and to be forgiven of our sins and that any person who might come and say, I'm ready to be a follower of Christ and kneels and receives the waters of baptism also receives the forgiveness of sins. But it's not only that, it's also that it changes our identity. With Christian baptism, we are marked as a child of God. Did that become your primary identity in your baptism? Have you reaffirmed that lately, that your primary identity in life is as a child of God? Baptism is to mark us in terms of our identity and our orientation. That if we understand ourselves as children of God or representatives of God, or as Paul says later, ambassadors for Christ, then it changes how we deal with the rest of the world. And we're to be the ones who interact and relate with others so that the love of God might shine through us, might be revealed in us and through us, that God's work in the world might be seen because of the choices we're making, because of the relationships we establish, through the way that we treat others. Baptism marks us as children of God and calls us to a certain orientation to live as children of God or as ambassadors of Christ throughout our lives. So John the Baptist is one picture of that. We get a different picture of that in Jesus. But so often when I talk to people about their spiritual life, they feel like these stories in the Bible somehow are about a set of people that are different than we are. That somehow God was at work in their lives in a way that God wouldn't be at work in our lives. I try to emphasize, oh no, this same God that's talked about in the book is still alive and at work today in your life. We have to attend to it. We have to listen for it. We're called to respond to it. So in this series of sermons where we're talking about experiencing God, I had this idea that it would be good for us to hear stories from our midst. So last week I shared a little bit of my own spiritual journey and some things I'm doing to try to deepen my relationship with God in this new year. But I also asked Bob Jones if he would help us with that. Ask him to come and be our lay reader. I knew a little bit about his story, but not so much as you're getting ready to learn. But I knew that Dr. Biggs had baptized him right at this altar shortly before I came here. Then I see him every Sunday morning at 8.30 same seat on this aisle right here. I knew he had become very involved in this faith community. I wanted to know more about his story and what that baptism had to do with his life of faith. So I've asked him to come and share a little bit of that with you. Bob, will you step up here? When Bob and I were talking earlier in the week, he was telling me about his life of faith. It's a lifelong story. But he had a particularly interesting experience as a young elementary child. I want him to tell us about that. It was long enough ago um, that you had to adjust the rabbit ears on your TV. And it was a Billy Graham crusade. I must have been five or six. Uh, my family was watching it. And Billy, as only Billy could do, was carrying us and taking us to church. And he said, uh, you really got to be friends with God. And I kind of liked that thought, being a small kid. And he went on to say, when, when you make your decision, you, you can go to a private, quiet place away from the hubbub and talk to God. And so I did. And I went back to the hall bathroom. 
in our house. And that was the most private place I could think of at the time. At that time, I knocked and the door opened. And the man upstairs has been a very big part of my life ever since. So you gave your life to God at a young age. You felt like you were walking with God, and yet you never took the step of being baptized. But you kind of had your mind changed when you came here through an experience with your daughter. Will you tell us a little more about that? Uh, well, uh, Annabelle, my beautiful daughter, she's uh, kind of the reason my family's here at Boston Avenue now. And because of that, uh, she said, we're going to Boston Avenue. And I said, okay. <laughs> and then she came to her mom and I and said, well, I'm going to get baptized at Boston Avenue. And so mom and I kind of went, okay. And I showed up on the Sunday intending to be the proud witness I was. And I walked up here with her and Reverend Biggs looked me right in the eye and said, do you want to be baptized? And I don't know, I heard myself say, I need to be baptized. <laughs> and I, I never really wanted to walk through that door, because once you walk through that door, um, life goes from never to always give a sucker an even break. <laughs> Hard door to go through. But you stepped through it here, received the baptism, but it didn't really stop there for you. You've really become involved in this community of faith. Tell us a little bit about that involvement after your baptism. Well, kind of jumped in feet first. Uh, the church here, not the building, the people. The church here, the ones I've had the privilege to speak with and share. Every one of them... Um, they wear their faith constantly. They don't wind up God on Sunday and put Him on the shelf on Monday. Uh, one of the things I've always liked, my grandmother and my mother were good Methodists, uh, and I like a church that thinks and lets think. This church, the people I've taught to, thinks. And also this church knows what it means when the, the Scriptures judge the church. The church doesn't judge the scriptures. And I'd like to thank Reverend Biggs and Reverend Wiggs for the opportunity. <laughs> well, it's great, Bob, that you're here with us. I'm so glad you're willing to share your story with us. Uh, when I asked Bob, he said, oh, no, not me. I don't want to stand up there. I don't have anything. We talked about his story, and he said, I probably don't have the kind of story you're looking for. I said, you have exactly the kind of story I'm looking for. In terms of how the Holy Spirit works through our lives at all different kind of stages in surprising ways, maybe through our children or another person. So I'm so glad you're willing to share, Bob. Thanks so much. It really can happen in a whole variety of ways for any of us where God will touch us through a person or an experience. And the question is, are we ready to respond? John the Baptist felt that prompting from God and responded in a certain way that he felt like he was to go and embody as a follower of that prompting from God's Holy Spirit. And then Jesus responding as well. And yet his life looking so very different than John the Baptist, yet both faithful 
descriptions of what it looks like for God to work in the life of a disciple. And then Bob's story, not like John the Baptist or like Jesus, and yet just as authentic and valid an experience of God in one's life from the time he was a child to his teen years and to his adult years.